smartac.com, smartac.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. Smartac.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. Hey, 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 To The Point Home Services Podcast listeners, what's up? It's Cristiano, your host, along with my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul Redman. What's going on, my friend? Yano, my man, good to see you. Pretty excited today. We get to use our favorite B word, which we don't get to use very often. We get to talk about a half a billion dollar company. So if anyone's interested in that, that's what's going down today. I'm sorry, you said what? Half a billion, the B word. The B word, half a billion. So if you need to pull over and catch your breath, whatever it is, make sure you take good notes. If you don't have a pencil and paper, then remember it down instead of write it down. Whatever it takes, you want to pay attention to this podcast, especially if you've ever had any interest in selling your home services company. You want to learn from one of the best in the business on how to best prepare yourself, things to look for, things of that nature. Or if you really are considering wanting to sell, uh, our guests would be somebody who you might want to connect with to see if uh, that might be a good fit for you because they seem to have a really good program figured out that's s- extremely successful. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce our guests. He is now, listen, Ken, were you from, you're from Levittown, New York, which is that, is that Long Island originally? It is Long Island. Yeah. Long Island. Long Island. Long sure. Island. So also, so you was the formerly the CEO of Cool Ray, which is this teeny tiny little company down in Atlanta, Georgia, right? Where 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 is that at today, Ken? Uh, about eighty-five million. Yeah, it's just a teeny little company, just a small little company. Um, also, formerly, listen for those who remember, Blue, or, you know, though Blue Dot, formerly regional VP of operations at Blue Dot, right? When, when was that, Ken? How long ago was that? That was late 90s, early 2000s. Got it. Man, those are my college years. <laughs> but now is the CEO of The Wrench Group. If you don't know The Wrench Group, Google it, and you'll see some phenomenal companies underneath that umbrella. Um, and also, what we decided to name this episode, I really thought about it last minute. And, and for those who've listened, know we've had a couple different episodes where we talk about M&A mergers and acquisitions and things of that nature. I thought it was really important to get Ken's approach to this. And so we called this episode M&A, The Wrench Group Way. We'd like to welcome our guest, Mr. Ken Haynes. How's it going, my friend? Going awesome. How are you guys? We are so good. How are you, Tall Paul? Tall Paul? I was on mute. Sorry, man, I'm doing awesome, and I'm, I'm ready for this one. So we're excited. Paul's East Coast, Ken. Uh, I'm West Coast, so I'm Phoenix. Um, we're... One of your uh, partners is down here. Yep. Um, so, 
quickly, just to give you guys an idea of uh, when I talk about the wrench group, here are some of the companies within that umbrella. And if I miss anything, Ken, you can fill in the gaps. Um, one being Abacus, old customer of ours. Awesome. Alan O'Neill. Uh, love his accent. And uh, that's always helpful. You got Baker Brothers. Cool, Ray. Cool today, Mr. Jamie D. I saw him on one of the podcasts the other day, Jamie D. Domenico. Shout out, brother. Um, you've also got what? It's uh, I think you got Donovan Heat and Air, Florida Cool, also a past Rhino customer. Parker and Sons, Mr. Paul Kelly, great human being. Um, Josh Kelly was on the podcast before over here. Uh, Plumline, also an ex Rhino customer, <laughs> Jeff. Great guy, which I think he's in like Tennessee or something now, right? Or say he doesn't leave. He is. He was in Knoxville. Knoxville, that's it. I knew he was Bob, down there somewhere. Bob Logan. Bob Logan was in business for us today. Got it. Okay. So, because I know Jeff had, I think he moved on, but he, I think he was living there anyway. He flew, would fly, but he was originally, Plumline's up in Denver. Uh, I don't know why I'm pointing because nobody is looking. <laughs> and then also yeah. Ragsdale. Did I miss anybody, Ken? Berkey's. Did you mention Parker and Sons? And Berkey's? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I don't know how the hell I missed Berkey's, Berkey's, and Bonnie's, right? No, Bonnie's no just Berkey's. Berkey's. Yep. Berkey's, Dallas, Fort Worth. It's Got it. So company. quite the stellar lineup. It's like the, uh, it was like the old school dream team. Would you agree, Paul? <laughs> it would. And I have actually used Baker Brothers and Plumline from when I lived in Dallas and when I lived in Denver. It is a small world. So we're excited to have you on, Kim. And seriously, it is truly an honor. I'm glad to finally meet you after all this time. Um, it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm really, we've learned so much from this podcast on our, from our guests and I, and I'm very much anticipating the same thing here. So without further ado, I want to jump right into it and let our listeners know how did you get into the trades and then to kind of where you are today. Now we'll dig into some of the details. I just want to, to set the stage on, you know, this is how I even got into the trades and then, you know, and here's my process to where I am today, the CEO of the wrench group. Yeah, uh, happy to. And and again, thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and and looking forward to sharing my and our story. Really, perfect. My story is probably a little bit boring. Um, you know, and people ask me this all the time. I I'm going to date myself for now a little bit, <laughs> but I got into the business in 1978. I'm not sure how how old you were, Chris, at the time, but uh, I won't even go there. I was born in '79. Okay, well there you go. Uh, so <laughs> I've been doing it doing it for doing it for a while, and. I actually started in high school. I, I made a decision when I was 15 years old that I wanted to get into this business. Now, at the time, it was, it was air conditioning and major appliance repair. Um, it wasn't plumbing and electrical. And, and I was living in New York. And back in those days, and, and, and it's really a shame that, that it's not offered in schools today, but back in those days, um, you know, the opportunity to go to trade school was built into high school. And so for me, I was able to uh, spend half my day at trade school and half my day at, at traditional high school cool. studies uh, type thing. And so, you know, I, I and that starts at, at junior. So at junior high school, I started learning the trade. Uh, and I would, uh, and you know, for me, my parents were scratching their head, you know, you got to go to college and, you know, <laughs> what do you, you want to do what? I'm a 15 year old. And so it's pretty, pretty unusual, but and I, can't, I can't, you know, people, again, people ask me this question all the time, how at 15, I have no idea. I just, I just knew, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to have my own business. And I also thought if I wanted to be in the air conditioning business, I needed to learn the trade. I did. I, not that I wanted to fix stuff my whole life, but I just, I needed to know how it worked. And that was my rationale. And I would get out and I tell my parents at the time, I'd, I'd get out and then I go to college and learn business. Well, I loved it so much. I got out of high school and ultimately never went to college. Um, 
I won't get I won't get into the whole battle between myself and my parents. <laughs> but at the end of the, at the end of the day, um, I got out of high school. I, I loved the trade. I, I really took on to it and started a business in in the early '80s up in New York. It's all took place uh, in Hicksville, Long Island. I grew up around the corner from Billy Joel. Just as an interesting note. Um, <laughs> and so was that your claim to fame? Oh, I grew up that's, my, that's my claim to fame. Um, <laughs> He's a little bit older than me, so I didn't know him, but but he did live around the corner. Uh, in any event, um, you know that was my that was my entree. So I get out of school, I went into business, and one thing led to another, and uh, I ended up selling the business about six years later because I wanted to move to Florida. Um, air conditioning in New York was yeah, you know, right. uh, not what it is in, in Florida or in your market, Chris. Sure, where it's, it's super hot and humid and great and it's year round, and so. Uh, packed up and moved to Florida in the late 80s and, and went to work for a company called Service Service America, which was ultimately owned by Roto-Rooter. Uh, that's where Jamie Domenico and I met and Paul and Paul Got Kelly it. as well. Got it. We all, we all come from Service America and, and Roto-Rooter and, and uh, uh, learned a lot and really, and they taught me about business and, and ended up running locations for them. And uh, the, the president, I'm moving quickly here because it's, uh, you probably want to get on other things, but, no, but ultimately- I was a technician for probably the first 10 years of my life in the trade. Um, uh, starting a business, I was I was in a truck. I was in a truck. Moving to Florida, I was in a truck. Worked my way up pretty quickly in the management uh, at Service America. And then ultimately, um, back in 1997, when uh, consolidation started, you know, Blue Dot, Service Experts, right, right. ARS, et cetera, um, the president of Service America was taken away, hired away, to run Blue Dot in about three months in, they called me and they said, hey, we need your help. And so that's when I really cut my teeth in M&A and integrating companies. And and uh, it was an interesting time. Uh, we bought a, Jamie and I bought a lot of companies uh, in, in a very short period of time. As you know, things didn't go well. Um, Blue Dot's parent was bankrupt, the industry in general, ARS didn't do well, service experts didn't do well, made a lot of mistakes back in those days. And uh, if nothing else, we learned we learned what, what not to do. Sure. So, Grew up as a tech, cut my teeth, you know, small business in New York, moved to Florida, went to work for Service America, Rotor Rooter. In 2003, um, uh, as Blue Dot was exiting the business, um, they had relocated me to Atlanta because we bought this company called Cool Ray in 1998 uh, and it wasn't doing well. And so the uh, president called me one day, I'm living in Orlando at the time, and said, Ken, uh, I'm now the regional vice president of the Southeast. And he says, hey, I, I, I need your help. Kure's uh, bleeding and, and uh, I need you to go run it and fix it and do your, do your regional job as well. Um, so I relocated to Atlanta uh, and uh, it was a tough fix. We, we, got it on the, we got it on the straight and narrow, but it was tough. It was a big new construction business back in those days. Probably okay. 50% of new, about 15 million of new construction if my memory serves me. Jeez. And basically made a decision to shut that down. And we, we laid off about a hundred people uh, that went along with that. And um, skip ahead to 2003, Blue Dot's parent goes bankrupt. My phone rings and they said, hey, how would you like, how would you like to buy Cool Ray uh, for, I don't know, 10 cents on the dollar. And it took, <laughs> about, took about four seconds to get the word yes out of my mouth. I'll bet. So I ended, up, I ended up acquiring Cool Ray in 2003 from Blue Dot. Uh, and at that time, New construction was gone. Retail wasn't going well. I, I really came on with about a six million dollar business that had been around since 1966. So it had a, it had a brand uh, and uh, it, it had a good reputation, a better reputation inside the industry because of all the noise that was happening. Right. Uh, but outside the industry, 
consumer facing and had a good brand. And so I, along with a partner in, in Indianapolis that you probably know that used to own a co company called Dial One, yep. um, uh, we, we <laughs> bought we bought Cool Ray together and, and the rest is history. And then, um, you know, I had the opportunity to get involved with uh, and, and start Wrench in 2000, late 2015. I'm happy to get into that story, but that's my that's my boring entree into into the business. No, man, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Actually, that's pretty cool. And I forget, I think Jamie did tell me the same thing that um, the Service America side of it, which I completely left out. Um, and I, yeah. I did know that. So interesting. I love it, man. Some of those old school stories. And I've learned so much because even though the industry is gigantic, it's so small. I feel like so many people, yeah. knows, everybody knows everybody. <clears throat> but um, the Cool Ray, uh, so, when you, so you said you bought it in 2003. Um, and then what if you guys heard that are listening, if you heard what he's saying, it's somewhere upwards of 80 you know, 80 million today, right? Is that pretty, pretty close, Ken? Somewhere in there. Yeah, we, we we were doing we were doing about we were doing roughly six million in two thousand three. I believe budget this year is, is over ninety. We'll be over one hundred and twenty million in the market, uh, along with Ragsdale. Uh, but Corey in itself, you know, somewhere between 80, 85 and ninety awesome. million. So great. Most uh, residential item replacement service. One hundred percent. Love it, man. Yeah. Gosh, so. And good. you started the Wrench Group while you still owned Cool Ray. You kind of started like a holding company with some other partners. Were those other contractors? What What did that look like? It's It's kind of a. It's kind of a. Um, well, it happened basically at the same time. I and mean, Wrench Group was started in, in started late in late two thousand fifteen. It really was um, four. And you know the companies. Really, four companies that came together it was Cool Ray. So it was myself. Paul Kelly with Parker and Sons, Alan O'Neill, Abigus, and then and then Berkeys. The former owner Berkeys had left. We had we had replaced placed him with um, with a manager. And so it really was those four companies that came together in 2015. Um, we 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 packaged that business up in 2015. Made it look like it was one. Made it look like it was one company. It was it was four like-minded individuals that had great businesses and great markets. Put them together and we were doing roughly 165 million was the run rate and we decided to hire a banker out of kansas city uh and put it on the market uh we all intended on staying we just wanted to we wanted to take some chips off the table and and sell the business and we did we went through a process and invest corp based in new york acquired us uh in march of 2016. so officially speaking that was our entree with private equity uh and the beginning of really launching wrench group uh, to, where, to where it is today. So it's March, March of 16 now. Got it. That's an amazing story. And you know, it's, it's interesting because people talk about, and of course I'm going to use air quote, that HVAC is not sexy, but when I look at the portfolio of companies that you're mixed in with now, I mean, I can go through these here. So we've got, um, you know, J crew, we've got the container store, we've got lifetime fitness, lucky brand, Joanne fabric, like, and I'm just picking a handful <laughs> of these. Like if my wife knows the names of these companies, these are relevant, significant <laughs> American brands. Like this is a big deal. So you've done well, man. We, I, I can't wait to hear kind of more of this. And that's our, that's our current private equity sponsor. Um, yep. InvestCorp, usually when private equity, most private equity companies tend to hold you somewhere between three and five years. That's kind of their, depending upon their strategy, that's really their sweet spot. Uh, we, had the op we were doing so well, we had the opportunity, uh, you know, less than three years in, we started the process. So we had we had a five year plan uh, in in three years, and it just made sense. The market was ripe, uh, and and again went through a process. And, and around this time last year, 
uh, InvestCorp sold their interest in LGP. So we're now with LGP, and that's the that's the other brands in the portfolio that uh, are under the LGP umbrella. So the wrench group then is comprised of these brands that you mentioned are, you know, over $500 million. You've got to be pretty tight with the leadership team, but it's not a huge team, is it? It's not. It's really an interesting, it's, it's a very, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if, if, and a lot of this comes from the old consolidation days, and I, I hate the term consolidators and I hate the term roll-up. We're not a roll-up. We're not a consolidator. Yes, it's a, you know, it's an 80 plus billion dollar space with a lot of white space across the country comprised primarily of mom and pops, but we're not rolling up businesses. We're not changing brands. We leave local brands intact. Most importantly is we don't try to change the local culture because that's usually where things begin to, to tank. Absolutely. And so for us, it is, it is, and there's a couple of things that have to happen for us to partner with and you mentioned Jeff Belk, that was one exception, but Jeff really wasn't involved in the business. Right. You know, for us, we want owners to stay. You know, we, we look for great companies, uh, so great businesses with great cultures, and, you know, in, in great markets that have a long track record, you know, top and bottom line success. That's kind of the initial filter for us. Uh, but we want owners to stay. And the opportunity is, you know, as an owner, you still get to take some chips off the table, a lot, a lot of money in your pocket. You know, come along for the ride, if you will, get a, get a second, maybe even a third bite of the apple um, and continue to run your business. We don't come in and take over. Sure, there's some there's some non-negotiables things. I mean, we are building a real company. We're not a federation of businesses all over the country. We're building a, a we're building a, a, a real business. Um, but it's it's more about it's more about collaboration. We focus on things uh, at corporate, as I mentioned. I mentioned we only had 14 people at corporate supporting a platform, half a billion dollar platform. <laughs> it, it, it goes to show you just how we, we don't have a tremendous amount of resources. So we're focused on, you know, key enablers in the business that help our locations grow. Things that they don't want that, that are distracting, like health insurance and, you know, um, <clears throat> P&C insurance and things that are just nuisance things. We, we want to help where we can without getting in the way that helps you run the business, but you're really still, you're still running your company as if it doesn't feel, you know, if you talk to Alan, you talk to Paul, you talk to anyone we've, we've partnered with, they'll tell you it feels the same. It's still fun. We don't, we haven't taken over the business and it's, it's really unique. And, and, and it's an opportunity for employees to, to what we call profit units to create, you know, lots of wealthy people along the way. And I'm happy to give an example when we, when we, sold the business last year to LGP, you know, we created, we, I'm super proud of this. We created over 50 millionaires. In the <laughs> oh my gosh, that's in amazing. The in the organization. And, and the next time we do this, we're going to create hundred to 150 new millionaires. Is that, is that a goal that you guys have put in place? Well, you know, it's something we, we, people come along for the ride. We allow people that we allow former owners to stay role equity. So now they have more of their own. So they, they, in essence, think about it as they create a piece of their own business. So they, 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 they end up owning uh, less of something bigger. Bigger, right? yeah, sure. Yep. Think, when you think of the power of that and what that and multiples you can get by the sheer size of what we're doing, uh, it's, it's something that's tough to do on your own. And then through these profit grants, um, I hate the term, but rank and file type managers, call center managers, CFOs, controllers, service managers, et cetera, Get, 
get to also partake through these property units and to make a lot of money. And it's really exciting. And, and now they have skin in the game. So it, it helps us really drive uh, you know, profitability and teamwork and, 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 they, and they're part of something. And so it's, 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 it's super, it's, without private equity, it's really hard to do this. And because, because it's very complicated giving people stock and ownership and, and tax ramifications, et cetera. But we've got it, we've got it set up in such a way where none of that, none of that is an issue, uh, and people still get to come along. And, and how exciting is it to create millionaires? I mean, yeah, you know, for me, see other people, other people become wealthy uh, is really exciting. It really is. Yeah, and I'm not ready to move on from there quite yet. So. Um... <laughs> You said 50 millionaires, right? So obviously you've not bought 50 business, so businesses. So these are service managers, general managers. These are key stakeholders that were working for these companies that as you worked out the deal, they got a cut, or I'm sorry, they, they had a, a profit unit or a, a share or whatever. Like how great is that for the business owner to go in and explain to his company why he's selling? And I mean, that's just amazing. Talk me through some of those again, or give me yeah. some, another good example. Yeah, so we, we, we basically, we, 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 create, we created this pot of money that we decided it's a, it's, a, it's a percentage of the value of the business. And we put it aside and say, look, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take that money and we're going to share that. Uh, and and I, you know, it's, it's well over, depending upon multiples of exit and all kinds of stuff, IRR. That's what drives the value of that pot. So that pot will get shared with, with folks. And typically what happens is, so we take... We take that pot, if you will, and then we and then we, we value it to, to a, a profit unit or a share, if you will, and and then we, as we do as we do an acquisition or we partner with a company, we just talk about how many we're going to allocate to you. So you know, Chris, if, if it's you and you and you have three or four people, we just sit down and say, look, I've got three or four key stakeholders that we want to take care of. They're they're critical to the business long term. Uh, and then we decide how we're gonna how we're gonna and it's a, it's really a conversation between myself uh, and the owner. Uh, what you want? What do you want to do? How many do you need? How many do you want to give to who? How, you know, and uh, how do you want that to work? And so, and it doesn't have to be equal. It could be different for different folks depending upon their job and how important they are and what they do and what they contribute. But it's it's great if you're an owner of a business, uh, and that and you've got people that you want to take care of that that have that have worked so hard for you over the years. What a great way to reward yeah. them. Because here's the beauty of this. And this happened when we, when we had the last flip a year from now. Folks that receive property units for the first time, they then have the opportunity to reinvest some of those. They don't you know we can't force them to. It's up to them. They can take 100% of that money and they can reinvest it. And now, and now they're owners. Now it's, now it's their money and they've rolled equity, if you will. So now they have their own equity in, which is a little bit different from a property unit, it's now their equity. And then equity now comes along for the ride. Oh, maybe. They get more property units. So what a, what a way for people to really acquire wealth. Um, and so we're really, and I think we're a little unique. There may be some other profit, some other private equity folks that are doing that now, but we, Wrench was really the first ones to come out and offer that type of setup. Uh, and it's, it's worked really well for 50 some odd people already. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. 
lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem, live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Yeah, and I have to imagine that that just has, you know, unintended positive consequences for operations and accountability and culture, because now you have leaders in the organization, they're acting like owners and they are owners. Exactly. Like it makes it's that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you were in a battle with your parents over the not going to college thing. Um, you've probably heard this. You won the battle, um, clearly. <laughs> um, if you've got an empty spot on your wall for this college degree, what would it say? Would it say master's in business administration, operations, sales, M&A? Like what would that, what have you earned along the way? Like what would you call it? What's been successful? What, what has made you? You know, I, th- I, th- I think it's leadership. I, I, I think at the end of the day, and there's a lot of things that have to happen to have a successful business, obviously. Yep. But, it, but it, it, it comes down to leadership. It comes down to how you treat people. It, uh, it, it's culture. I'm um, sure, you know, you know, look, we, you know, we, I believe in a, a culture of accountability and, and people that work want to be accountable. And it, 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 when people see that people are held unaccountable, it, it, it really, it's life better work. This is off the folks that, yeah. that are working hard every day. And so I believe in a culture of accountability. Um, we want to see results, but I also believe in, in it's got to be fair. Um, uh, you have to treat people well. Uh, and, you, and you've got to you've got to train people and bring them along. And so I think, for me, you know, I I I love people. Uh, I've always I've always been involved. Even you know, it got tougher and it gets more and more difficult. The bigger you get, if you have if you have ten or fifteen employees, it's a lot easier, a lot easier to stay engaged, know things about them, say hello, shake hands, sure, yeah. name, et cetera. You know, I mean, in Atlanta we have over five hundred employees. It, it gets very difficult. You know, to, to to interact with those folks on a regular, it's, it's just tough to do. And so you really have to, you really have to go out of your way um, to do the best you can to, to to keep that small company feel. People want to feel respected. They, you know, they 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 want to be loved. They want to pat on the back. And so that was something for me that I think that I learned early on. Uh, and you know, look, I think at the end of the day, you're gonna your business is gonna is gonna be more successful. Um, with that type of culture, the one where you're siloed, uh, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, you have a reputation for not caring about people. I want people to be able, I want people to want to follow us, follow me, follow our leaders. Um, I want them to be here because they're here because of Christiana or Ken Haynes or Paul Kelly or Alan Neal, et cetera. They want to work for them because they're respected and they, and they enjoy and they feel appreciated. And so, I think for me, it's probably leadership is, is number one. There's a lot of other things, though. I mean, obviously, yeah, sure. on the way. I mean, you've got to you've got to continue to educate yourself. You know, you've got to have an, an organization, an operation that's efficient, uh, that is well well structured, and it's marketing, and um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to make money, right? I mean, yep. we're all here to make a profit, and sometimes that gets forgotten about. Uh, and so you, you've got to make money, and if you're not, you've got to, you've got to focus on those on some of those levers. To make sure that uh, that you are. Yeah, I uh, one um, man. You're only one hell of a legacy here. That's pretty awesome, um, because it comes across like the fact that you created 50 millionaires. I mean, my goodness, you don't stay awake at night, and like you feel good about those things. That's amazing. Those are those are life changing experiences, 
And it's got to be cool for you to think like how, how big of a part of that you were. Yeah. Clearly leadership has got to be a key ingredient to this whole thing. But like you did, you did this, like, this is you. You got to feel good. Your family's got to be proud. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I, I, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't, I don't, and look, I don't, I don't take the credit for it. I mean, look, there's, there's a lot of, my job's easy. I, I get, I get to sit in Atlanta and, and help and help, you know, my job really is setting vision and strategy and, you know, what gets us from, from 165 million to 200 to three to four to five to a billion, et cetera. That's sort of some of the stuff that, that I'm thinking about in the day-to-day business. The people that really deserve the credit, the folks that are in the field, you know, that, that are getting things done. I don't, you know, French corporate, we don't, we don't generate any revenue, right? We're just, we're, we're just, we're just sucking on the cash. And so, but to that extent, we're very, very careful. We, we, we spend money, we spend money where it makes sense. For example, one of the things I decided, I'm, I'm sitting here, this is the office I've been in since 2003. So when, when Wrench came together and they appointed me CEO of the, of the, of the company, I said, you know what, we're not moving into a fancy, you know, ivory tower office. Sure. I'm going to steal, I'm going to steal a hallway of, of Corey's facility and uh, I'll pay you a little bit of rent and that's what we're going to do. And we've been here ever since. And so, <laughs> so you know, we're good, we're good stewards. Uh, we're asking people to work hard and, and generate, generate, you know, nice top line and bottom line growth every year. We're not going to, we're not going to waste it away here. So we're very, very careful, but it's really the field that deserves the credit. We've got, we've got great businesses with great leaders and, and, and frankly, just phenomenal operators. We couldn't, couldn't be any more blessed with, with the companies and partners folks that we've, we've uh, we associate with. You're being humble and I appreciate that. <laughs> and I, no, it's, it's true. I mean, it's, 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 it's true. Yep. No, I, and I 100% believe you. Yeah. I completely agree, man. It takes an army. Um, so a couple of quick questions too, for our listeners too, that, that are listening and considering, um, you know, the M&A route, whatever it is. But I, what I want to know is, um, for an appealing acquisition to, to the wrench group, what is, what is the best way for a potential acquisition, a contractor to set themselves up for the most successful exit? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not, not to state the obvious, but you, you have to have, Good results. You 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 have to focus on top line and bottom line growth. You know, obviously, we want to we want to know as we look at a business that it wasn't. You know, the P and L doesn't look up and down, spike. You know, great year, bad year. Great year, bad year. Great year, bad year. We we and private private equity likes this too. We want to see a long track record of of nice growth in the business. Um, so so. You know, financial performance obviously is key. And at the end of the day, when, when you know, what's going to drive the valuation is, is bottom line, yeah. right? Because it's, you know, and look, we all, you know, even myself included, when, when I made a decision to sell the business, you know, we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this. And we, as owners, we, we always feel it's worth more than it really is of because course. for all those reasons, how hard you work. But, <laughs> right. but evaluation is evaluation. The evaluation is going to be based on your EBITDA and, and, a, and some multiple of it. Right. right? And so you got to have good results. I mean, if, if, you know, so outside of, you know, strong financial is, is having a profit and loss statement that's also pretty buttoned up doesn't have to be gapped exactly, but it's got to, it's got to make sense. Um, somewhat, it doesn't even have to be on a accrual method. It can be on, it can be on a cash accounting method, but it's got to, it's got to tie out. We do a cash proof. We typically do a few, a few of the, and so, you know, we dig in pretty, pretty extensively around financial, but, but have, 
but have good financials, um, accurate financials, uh, good processes in place around around all that. So I think that's that's first and foremost. Um, after that, it, it comes down it comes down to leadership and your and your strength of management. Um, you know, we we like we like owners to stay. If there's an owner in place that is super strong, and is that in essence running the business anyway, like like a Jeff Kelk. You know, we knew Jeff was leaving, but as you mentioned, Chris, Jeff was living in Knoxville. He'd fly back and forth every right. now and then. It was, you know, we had we had folks that were that were really running the business in essence, and so we were right. comfortable. With it. But but normally we want the owners to stay uh, with us, and so, but if not, you've got to have got to have strength beneath you. So if you're not preparing managers and leaders underneath you for the exit, you need to. Uh, succession planning is, is critical. We focus on it here uh, at Wrench because we know this is going to happen again and people are going to leave at some right. point. And so we're focused on succession. So succession management planning is, is critical. Could, could you uh, share a quick, quick question? Um, a couple quick things, and these might seem silly, but it's things that have come up before, so I want to I get your feedback on it. Um, and it's a little bit of a two-parter. One, um, can you share how important maintenance agreements are to have or if you think they're important to have when considering an acquisition? And two, is there a, is there a minimum profitability percentage that you guys look for in a, mm -hmm. in a company? And now these things have come up before, which is why I ask. And, and I always yeah. think about this too, like um, – I've been down this path multiple times. We've had companies reach out to us, not that we're interested interested in selling, um, which is really an objection, right? I know that's what you're going to say. Um, but what are some of these things that, like, if, if I'm listening and I'm considering, how important are service level agreements, maintenance agreements, whatever you want to call them, and what should you, if you're looking to sell, your bare minimum percentage of profitability be uh, for your company? Yeah. So whether you're looking to sell your business or not, maintenance agreements are critical. Um, they, they should be they should be the backbone of your business. And when I, when I think about when I acquired Cooler in 2003, a lot of our growth came from um, those sticky relationships. And that's exactly why we, we, we have a, we have a term a phrase we use. It's called building fences around customers' homes. We want to build a fence around the home. We want to lock people in with us right. and keep everybody else out. And then we want to offer. You know, we offer, by the way, all of our locations, with the exception of one at Wrench, offer all three trades, HVAC, plumbing, and electrical, and we, we cross-sell. And so we want to lock up, you know, the home under all three of those trades, sell them an HVAC agreement, a plumbing agreement, electrical agreement. So we want to build fences. And, the, and, and, we, and we know how much those, you know, what the lifetime value of a customer is and what kind of business we get off of those very sticky relationships. So absolutely, we love them. And, and you know, when, when I... When I bought Kura in 2003, I, I realized this. And so I think, I'm trying to remember now, I think we had something like two or 3,000. I believe Kura has now close to 45,000 maintenance plans. Damn. Uh, so it's something that, it's something that if you want to grow your business and you're not focused on maintenance agreements, you're, you're missing a, you're missing a huge opportunity. Jamie, focus on maintenance. Jamie, D, Jamie D. Domenico was on, um, and he crushed it on his maintenance agreements. Like they did big growth off of those. And he was sharing on, I believe it was the service Titan podcast this week or webinar. I can't remember which one it was. Um, yeah, that's what it was on the webinar. His, uh, how he grew his, this like 23 million or whatever the revenue was from his maintenance agreement stuff. And he was sharing that story. I was yeah. like, that was pretty sweet. That was pretty awesome. He crushed that. And, and all of our brands. And so, so yeah, we're, when we, when we talk to a potential um, a partner, 
maintenance agreements are part of the conversation. I mean, if uh, you know, if you're if you're a thirty forty million dollar business and you have two or three thousand, you're you're missing you're missing the boat, right. right? You've got to focus on these for all for for the stickiness reasons, and and there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, number one, you know, when when it's great cash flow because for the most part, you get paid up front. Most companies get paid for a full year, or even some some organizations will offer if the state allows it, will offer multi year agreements. A lot of customers are willing to pay you up front, so now you don't have to worry about the renewal. You have all your money up front. And it helps with cash flow. Uh, it also helps when when other companies can't keep their techs busy right. in, in the shoulder months. You now have these thousands of maintenance agreements to leverage to keep people working. So if you're keeping your guys busy. They're not going to leave and work for elsewhere because for those reasons. Uh, and you you get to generate revenue because as we know, if you're doing a good job on a maintenance agreement, you're making you're making recommendations based on what you find. Sure. And and. You're generating revenue in, in times when you may not be otherwise because it's an off-demand season. So right. there's a lot of reasons to do that in the stick relationship. So yeah, but maintenance agreements, totally agree. For us, I think today we have somewhere around 150,000 or so across the wrench platform and something that we talk about a lot. Is it all the same offering across all, all platforms or do you still allow them to stay unique to their market? They, they stay unique. Some, some are... Um, um, I'm, I'm of the opinion I like to have separate separate agreements. Some are some are kind of uh, bundled. Uh, so some of our locations we don't dictate you're going to unbundle if you have a bundle or vice versa. So again, we're we're very flexible there. If it's working and, and we're selling them and we're renewing them, just it's, keep doing what you're doing. Got it. What role do you find uh, software in helping you evaluate a deal? So for instance, you know, you go in to evaluate um, an acquisition and they're using Service Titan or using another field management. Does it make it so much easier outside of just looking at the financials to see the opportunity? It does. We, and, and, all of our, and one of the things that we did as we, as we came together in 2016 and, and everyone for the most part were on disparate you know, systems. We made a decision. It's critical. So we moved. We moved over the past three years, everyone onto the Service Titan platform, and then we use a company called Domo, which is a data aggregator that helps us take. We get the plug-in on an API, and we get these incredible uh, um, uh, analytics KPIs that you can't get out of Service Titan, and we can customize it. And it's really, it's really incredible. Some of the real-time um, uh, info we get that helps our location uh, leaders make better decisions, right? Managers make better decisions. So we've got everyone now on the same platform. So, and, and it's been, you know, Service Titan's done a great job and, and they've been converting, you know, continue to convert at incredible rates, um, companies across the country. And so the more deals we do, it's, it's turns out that more companies have migrated over to Service Titan. And so it's it's great for us, it just makes it easier for us to be able to integrate the business into, into Wrench from a system, P&L, uh, standpoint uh, KPIs by being on the same platform. It also, it also, um, as we look at down the road, as we build a real company, the fact that we're on, you know, the same operating system, the same accounting system, the same KPI system, same telephony system, that's all cloud-based and the infrastructure is cloud-based. And then the, and then the whole story around digital transformation, some of the things we're doing around that and AI, uh, having everyone do it, but just it adds a tremendous amount of value as a private equity company looks at us. It looks at it with just not these, you know, mom and pops doing their own thing on, on disparate systems. It really adds to the story about what, we, what we've built um, and our ability to continue to grow organically, which is 
a number one, most important, uh, continue to grow organically um, as we go forward. So I, I but, but we like the service Titan platform. I think it's the best out there. It's not perfect as, as you know, software is, um, but we, we've got it down pat. Uh, we've, uh, and we can, we could migrate a company over to Titan fairly quickly, which, and by the way, out of the 14 folks uh, that work at corporate, IT is not surprisingly, IT is the largest organization within <laughs> the venture organization. So we've, we've done a lot of work around uh, IT because uh, we, we just think that's, you know, we're not, we're not focused on, here's, here's an example. You know, when we, when we close a deal and somebody comes on board, you know, some, some, some competitors, the first thing they do is, okay, from day one, everyone's selling training. You know, that's just something we don't focus on. Um, sure, do we, do we leverage our relationships with vendors? Absolutely. But it's important to us to have everyone selling the same brand so we can get a 5% you know, back-end rebate? No, we're focused on things that, that help our businesses grow at 15, 18, 20% organically. And it's things around technology, customer-facing technology and tools, uh, artificial intelligence, making it super easy for people to do business with us. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that, that Wrench brings to the table when a company decides to partner with us. It's not we're gonna come in and take over your company. We just don't. Love it. This is not what we do. I love it. I, what is a, uh, and I was going to ask this question a different way, but you already answered it. Um, what is, what is a deal killer? Like clearly right now, if it was, you're talking about if you have peaks and valleys in your financials, like there's someone's, there's some instability there that that's a deal killer. That seems like, but what if you get into this, you know, you're going into due diligence. What's a deal killer. What is something that these guys could be aware of um, that, you know, to, to be, think about that might kill, that might kill a deal once you've already gotten into it. Cause I feel like once you go, once you get into due diligence in the dies, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. We, we pretty much, you know, once, once we get to the diligence stage, we, we have a pretty good, you know, you, you've, you've had dinners, you know, you know, we've visited, we've been face to face on numerous occasions. We have a pretty good understanding about them. And, and, right. you know, we also, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not the kind of, uh, organization that you're going to get, you're not going to get a piece in the mail from us. You're not going to get something from Leonard Green, LGP, or Ren saying, sell us your business. Most of our deals have been proprietary. Uh, folks like Paul Kelly, who and who has you know 40 years of industry experience and, and relationships, Jamie DiDomenico, right. chairman of NextStar, myself who's been around forever, Paul Smith, uh, and others who who know a lot of people. And so a lot of, so it's, it, so we're not really out there pressure selling. Uh, it's just not, it's just not who we are. And there's not a lot of pressure on me to get a ton of deals done. We're, we're just, we're looking for great companies. It's not about just, you know, scale for the sake of scale. It's kind of icing on the cake for us. Let's continue to grow the business organically. Do all the right things, build out people, platforms, processes, and then find great companies to partner with. That's really, that's really, that's really a strategy. But I think, to go back to your question, so we, we know a lot about a business as we get into full-blown diligence. I think the biggest deal killer would be, because when we, when, we, when we get to an LOI stage, typically what happens is the business, business owner will provide us with some financials. And we have really no insight other than what's provided to us. Sure. And we, we take it at face value that they're accurate and they're, and they're correct. Do they, Not have, do they have to be audited financials? 
Well, we don't, they don't have to be audited, but we do, we do what's called a quality earnings internally. Uh, and so we'll take those, it's in essence a, a scale down audit, but we'll look at those financials and, and we're gonna make sure they're accurate. And I think, uh, again, if you, if you have books that are not buttoned up, um, you run the risk of, we well, think your EBITDA is one thing, it's a yep. million dollars less. Yep. And, you know, times a multiple, that, that could be a deal killer. <laughs> yep. uh, and so, and it's only because the numbers aren't, so, I, so it's really super important to make sure you, you're, 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 before you enter this process, that your books are accurate, they're straight. Again, they don't have to be accrual, they don't have to be perfectly gapped, just most businesses, you know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's gap in taxes, right? A lot, a lot of businesses are, are really more focused on tax accounting, right? The lower taxable, um, um, you know, um, amounts at the end of the year uh, or the liability. Right. Uh, that doesn't always work with gap. And so, and that's fine. But as long as it's something you can go to and, and, and get a circle around and understand what's going on with the numbers. So that's probably the biggest thing is when the numbers just aren't what they were, you know, built to be. Got it. So I, I, for the sake of time, I want to make sure that I get this question in because if nothing else is registering or you, or you want to walk away with some sort of like, I could, okay, I'm going to check these boxes. What I want to do, and can I send you these questions ahead of time? So hopefully you got a chance to see it, but I'll, I'll ask it. The very last one I wanted to, to, for you to share in your opinion, based on all this experience from starting, I mean, in the trades, going into all the acquisition, all everything, everything that you've learned today. If you had to place these five things in, in levels of importance, how would you place them starting with operate, or excuse me, and the five options are operations, financial, sales, marketing, and technical. How mm. would you put those in level of importance based on what you know today? When you, when you say technical, is that, does that training. mean you're understanding how Te to fix something? Technical training, like for overall, like, so I'm saying if you're putting them, if you're training. an individual contractor, what's, what's your level of importance? You know, it's a, it's a tough question to answer because I think they're all equally as critical and they're I intertwined. They're, yep. they're kind of intertwined and look, you can be really good operationally, but, but it doesn't mean you're making money because right. you made investments in things that aren't paying off or, you know, you, you, you know, graded sales or in, um, horrible marketing. So I think, I think you're first, I think the business needs to be very well run operationally. You've got to have a buttoned up operation. You've got to get the right people in the right seat. Yep. Uh, you've got to communicate a lot. You can't have silo businesses, a lot of communication. It's interesting. We've, we've, you know, we've like most Americans today are working from home and uh, it's, uh, it's unbelievable how much we've learned and how much this country is going to change going forward and how we how we go to business right. i don't think anyone believed self-included that that we can operate a company this big with 95 percent of our employees at home <laughs> and not skip a beat i i just i wouldn't have there's no way i would have gotten yeah, i got it yeah i hear uh, you but we're doing it and a lot and a lot of companies are doing it in this space and they're having great success and so we've learned a lot but i but it but it, it, it's critical to have a well-run organization operationally operations um, numero uno yeah, and, and you know, and look, you've got you've got to have a sales culture. Yep. Uh, you've got to have marketing prowess, um, culture of accountability. Um, you've got to make money. I mean, so I think it it all goes together. You've got to, and you look, not everyone has those things. I didn't have all those things, but and if you don't, you go out, you find folks that can help and bring them into the organization, whether it's on a consulting basis or whether it's uh, a hire. Get yep. the help. 
okay to not have all the answers, but find people that can help you. If you're, if you're weak on marketing, get some help. You guys can help. If you're weak on sales, get somebody in that can help drive sales. Um, you know, for me as an owner, when I, when I own my own Kure over the years, I, I found it most important to spend the majority of my time on sales. I spent 75% of my time driving sales because I knew that without a sale, nothing else happened. So I was super focused on the marketing and sales aspect, building a sales culture, finding out ways to, to drive, drive sales through technicians or whatever, call centers. So really, uh, if you're not spending time as an owner on sales, I think you, you, know, you need to re rethink that strategy. But I hope I answered your question. I, yeah, just, yeah. I, think, I, think, they're all, I think they're all critical, Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you did. And you kind of answered some of these throughout the, throughout the podcast too. So I was just trying to almost give like a, uh, if, if I'm sitting here checking boxes, because some people you know, function that way, they're like, okay, I know I need to work on this one, then this one. Um, you shared that information, so that's that's great. And clearly, on the sales and marketing side, you guys have crushed it. You guys still have Cool Ray Field. We have Cool Ray Field here in Atlanta, and we also have uh, Cool Today Park down uh, in down Florida, in, uh, down in uh, Sarasota, which is now the Braves uh, spring right. training home. Awesome. Well, listen, uh, for the sake of time, and I want to make sure I appreciate your time. I know you have a hard stop like we do too. Uh, I just want to say thanks, Ken, for coming on and sharing. You shared a ton of stuff in a small amount of time. And really, only scratched the surface. I know that. Hopefully, uh, we can talk you to talk you into coming back on the back half of this year and maybe sharing some more stuff based on the responses and things we get. Would you be open to that? Happy to. It'd be a pleasure. Awesome. So, real quick before we go, just want to um, if anybody out there that's listening is kind of in that space where they're considering or thinking about wanting to sell, or maybe now you're thinking about wanting to sell, you just have questions. Kim, what's the best way they can connect with, uh, with you to maybe go down that or explore that more? You know, happy to, happy to offer my, my email address. It's uh, K H A I N E S at wrenchgroup.com. And I'll spell wrench group W R E N C H G O you G O G R O U P. Hello. Hey, don't worry. We're going to put it in the, we're, we'll put it with the post anyway. So <laughs> when, we, when we make the post out there, listen, seriously, I appreciate you so much for coming on board. Congrats on all the success. I know you're being humble on some of this, but listen, like you're leaving quite the legacy, but you've helped a ton of people along the way. Um, some by millions of dollars. And I think that's very, very admirable. Um, man, I'm so glad to finally meet you. Um, hopefully we'll get yeah, to meet in here. person here at some point when next time Atlanta, I'd love to be able to connect with you. Um, but for our listeners, again, you know, if you heard him say help, most people want to help. And I've said this time and time again, if, if you, if you're having operational problems, ask somebody who's done it, who's done it better and ask them for help. People want to be helpful. If you're having financial problems, ask for help. Okay, you don't have to have it all figured out. Ken didn't have it all figured out in the beginning, right? You have to, well, if, but you can reach out and ask somebody for help. It's completely okay. But if you have any more questions for Ken, um, like I said, we will share his email address or if you're considering acquisition or, or if you have a question that you'd rather ask us that we can share with him, we're happy to do that as well. But Ken, thank you again so much for being on here. For those listening, if you're uh, going to go down into Tampa, at the Service World Expo, June 22nd through June 24th. Yours truly uh, will be doing a, uh, will be speaking down there on tracking, lead tracking. It's something that we're extremely passionate about, but we appreciate you all listening. Until next time, Ken, we'll see you later. Paul, we'll see you later. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for listening to To The Point. We hope you enjoy this episode. 
please consider leaving us a review in the App Store. And don't forget to share with your friends. Till next time, kick some ass.